Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and I am so excited to be bringing you my conversation with Chris Moroff on how to be more fulfilled at work and home. Fulfillment, what's our legacy? What's stopping you from being happy? These are some things that we discuss in the podcast, but before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit more about Chris. Chris Moroff is a CEO, founder, author, and serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping business professionals find fulfillment in their work through sustainable success. Chris owns a variety of startups in various industries throughout Austin, Texas, and Maine, ranging from hospitality, restaurants, farming, and leadership development. I hope you enjoy our candid and vulnerable conversation on how to be more fulfilled at work and home. Chris Moroff, here is our actual podcast. I welcome you to the stage. We, of course, did a pre-call about a month ago where I feel like both of us got pretty emotional talking about the topic we're going to discuss today, which it's so incredibly important. And I'm happy that we're talking about this topic Um, for our audience. We're going to be talking about how to be more fulfilled at work and home. And I feel like this topic is so timely because I notice in June, in July, we typically live in burnout land. It's supposed to be summer vacation in the Northern Hemisphere. But yet we feel stressed to the max. And we're going to be talking about a topic that I hope our audience, you are listening, you know, really take this to heart and thinking about your own fulfillment and your own journey, what you can do to make life work feel better for you, to feel like you're getting the return on your time. But before we dive into the show, Chris, if you could just go ahead and, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you came to be. I mean, you raise miniature cows. I loved hearing that right. story, but I know that's <laughs> not obviously what brought you here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. And uh, it is a really important uh, topic um, because it affects all of us. We all work. Um, and the idea of fulfilling works a really, really important one. Um, so my start, uh, story started really uh, working with my parents um, as a 22-year-old. Um, you know, of course I knew everything, uh, there was to know at the time and, uh, just trying to find my way in the work world. I kind of always had it in my mind that <clears throat> you would, um, be gifted this like, um, intense passion, um, for work in a way that made work feel, um, fulfilling. And so it was, it was a hard pill to swallow that work became work, um, and that I had to figure out like how I was going to show up, um, get things done. Really, uh, it took me a long time to figure out what I was really looking for in order uh, for me to kind of identify with fulfilling work. Um, Worked with my parents for 15 years and really was kind of elusive. Um, I had moments of fulfillment and moments of regret um, and raising four kids at the time. And so always feeling holds between family and work and not sure how to balance those things. Everybody kept talking about this thing called work-life balance. And so just spent the first 15 years of my career, honestly feeling like a bit of a failure in uh, both roles as an employee and as a, as a dad or a husband. And so I uh, launched out on my own in uh, 2011 to uh, try to create a workplace environment where somebody didn't have to feel the way I felt. And so uh, launched out in Austin, Texas, 
um, and really created a, a company that was very, very uh, client centric. And um, during that process, uh, you know, got a lot of success. Honestly, the business grew. Um, but I found myself after four or five years amidst that success, just incredibly unfulfilled as an owner, as a leader. And I, and since I was the boss, I'm like, well, now there's no one else to blame. It's like, well, I tried to create a culture that allowed my people to feel uh, fulfilled. And to some a degree, to some extent, I had done that. Um, but I was the one that was kind of missing out on this uh, fulfillment. And so I started to wonder, I'm like, well, am I just destined to constantly feel unfulfilled? I know that it, at this time, there was a study that came out that said 72% of the people on the planet hate what they do or who they do it with. And that devastated me. I'm like, what in the world is happening where we all hate to go to work? I grew up with parents who seemed to be dedicated and loyal to their workplace. They felt um, uh, fulfillment. They felt uh, value in who they were and how they showed up. Why all of a sudden can't I find that not only as an employee, but even as the boss, like what's going on? So it really started me down this journey um, of understanding why um, in this era of um, millennials and Gen Zs coming into the workplace and, and me as a, as a Gen X, like why is it so elusive? And what I found out through a lot of research, uh, through a lot of conversation was that it's, it's really elusive for everyone and has been uh, since the beginning of time from the perspective that um, this fulfillment is so um, elusive when we aren't right um, emotionally and psychologically and how we're connected to not just work, but more importantly, how we're connected to people. And so I just realized in this, in this space that I really um, had not displayed any empathy or vulnerability as a leader, as an owner, uh, as a boss. And so it left me just feeling very, very unfulfilled in that role. And so that's been my life's work over the last eight years is to rectify that situation for myself by um, learning these skills uh, and really uh, transforming into somebody who understands and exercises empathy. And then the harder one for me is exercising my own vulnerability. I hate sharing that I have weaknesses and feeling um, like I'm a burden to someone or that I'm messy. And then now someone has to take care of me. Um, the way that I cope with the world is to try to take care of everyone around me. I have an overactive paternal instinct. And so um, to feel like somebody else uh, needs to take care of me um, makes me feel very uncomfortable, but it makes me feel very fulfilled. Um, and as a leader, um, I just feel incredibly connected uh, to those now in my life um, based directly on my willingness uh, to be vulnerable. And so we've shifted all of our organizations um, in this process away from being client-centric to employee-centric. Um, and when we are focused on our employees, what we've found is that they will take care of our clients. And one kind of takes care of the other uh, in a very meaningful way. So that's been my journey. And that's, yeah, how I got here. Now, you said so many things that I think our listeners can relate to, I personally can relate to. 
um, the balance of how do I be my best at work? How do I be my best at home? I know that I'm struggling with that right now as my husband and I yeah. just began our foster parenting journey. And hats off, I just said this to you on the pre-call, hats off to everyone that's a parent. This <laughs> yes. is something that's completely new to me to juggle these things. And I'm struggling with imposter syndrome of not feeling like I'm the right person that should be a foster parent. Um, I'm struggling with does this mean that I'm going to fail at my job now? Because my mm -hmm. job has been something, you know, for my entire life, career has been extremely important to me. Um, and so I relate from that balancing act, but I also can visual or can relate to the fact that I think many people struggle. You hear about yeah. your friends that have these jobs where it seems like they're getting it right and they found this perfect fit. They found what they were passionate about. And here you are hating your job, frustrated with colleagues, <laughs> feeling like, how did I get this wrong? You know, what is my yeah. purpose? And then you talked about that, the mental component. I love your journey on really employing and walking the walk in terms of leading with empathy and meeting mm -hmm. and treating the human instead of, you know, the customer first or the blank. We're really investing in our employees, but we're also having conversations about mental health, yeah. which are directly related to fulfillment. You can't be fulfilled right. unless you check in with your mental health and your emotions because you don't know what needs to change. And I That's love right. this period of life that we're all in as the workplaces, cultures are starting to shift to that. You also have yeah. to if you're not doing it yet. But you talked about something, and I know we talked about this on the pre-call and we're going to dive into it, but vulnerability. I mean, Part of where we even, I think, got more emotional on our pre-call was talking about vulnerability because from where I sit, what I've been hearing over the past year is men, men struggling with vulnerability, yeah. but yet wanting this vulnerability. And I feel like your work and helping people talk about their feelings is so incredibly important, especially to men or others that have received the message it's not okay to have emotions. So right. how do you lean into that? Like, how did you start to lean into that? Because it's so important. I mean, the messages yeah. that men have, you <clears throat> need to be the provider for your family. You can only be angry. Sleep is for the dead. You know, you need to perform. You need to be the best. Right. There's a lot of pressure. Like, how did you give yourself permission to show up with empathy and vulnerability? Or I should say vulnerability. <laughs> Yeah, vulnerability is one, and and I again cope the way I cope with the world um, naturally. Like from a time I was a child, <clears throat> is to convert all emotion into anger. And what anger does is it allows me to kind of survive in. I call it my fear shelter. But when I'm afraid, when I'm hurt, when I am uh, feeling uh, that somebody might betray me, I uh, retreat into my this fear shelter. And for me, it's anger. And it's a skin that I wear to ward off um, aggressors. And um, if you go through your whole life that way, there's a level of protection um, that you feel that I felt. Um, and then one day I realized that all that protection in the world um, really just led me to being incredibly emotionally alone. When you work your whole life to not let anyone in, um, then guess what you accomplish? Uh, not letting anyone in. And so uh, hitting rock bottom and, and for the first time in my life at 42, realizing that I was incredibly emotionally alone 
in, not because people didn't want to enter in. It's because I didn't let them in. I was literally in a prison of my own making. And so for me to start taking steps out of that, it wasn't overnight. I really had to double down on like, what do I want in life? Um, what's going to be my legacy? Um, I wanted to uh, be somebody who was thought of as a really good leader, really um, loving, caring leader. Um, but but I wasn't willing to let people see uh, the the what I call the monster inside, because if they did, they would all um, run away and leave. I mean, we're called to, um, as leaders, this was the lie in my head, we're called to be strong and confident for the people in our lives, whether it's our kids or wives, uh, whether it's our employees, our coworkers. Like, I just felt that, that I was put on this earth to take care of people. Um, I have an amazing uh, ability and gift to uh, process things very fast. And I've got this high risk tolerance uh, for failure. And I have a bold, larger than life uh, personality that I, as I've been told, and that allows me to wade into hard situations with a calm. And so I had all these reasons why I do what I do, but the end result was the same. I'm, I'm emotionally alone. And so for me, it was now taking baby steps to let somebody see just a little bit of uh, this um, little boy who is just needing to be taken care of. And man, I tell you, that journey was, um, I'm sure if somebody, uh, what I call baby steps, somebody would be like mini baby steps. Like these were like so small that um, for anybody else witnessing, especially people who maybe embrace vulnerability um, more than I had, would think that doesn't even seem vulnerable. Um, uh, But it was those moments. And then at whatever level of exposure that I let somebody in, the fact that they didn't run screaming which was the, the, the lie inside my head, gave me the confidence to take that next little tiny baby step. And it was well over a year, honestly, before I like, made an absolute decision, like, number one, this is doable. And number two, this is the man um, that I want to be. So, oh my, again, you said so much there. I can really relate to the fear cave. I think I might, I'm like, do I go to anger when I'm really stressed? I think I actually, I, my fear cave is the fawning, trying to do whatever it takes to please someone because inside I feel like I'm not good enough. And it's something that you don't, achievers have that. And we don't have that conversation and it relates to our fulfillment because if we're constantly telling ourselves we're performing poorly, poorly, we're never good enough. How will you ever find fulfillment if you are never going to accept that you are perfectly imperfect? But, hey, I know all this and I can still lay in bed (laughs) at night and say, Jen, let's think about all the ways that you really got it wrong. Jen, oh, you didn't do this perfectly. Jen, you let those people down. And it gets into like it's a heavy thing to bear to like walk around and feel like I hate myself. Like, you know, cause that's the message underneath is I hate myself. I don't accept myself. And so what you're saying with fulfillment, I I really resonate with identifying your own fear cave, what that looks like for you and reframing how we look at the monster within. And it's not a monster. We actually all have the monster. And we're just human. Yes. And so, yeah. you know, what What I heard you say is like, you know, the starting point of fulfillment is the only way out to like actually get out of these fear caves, out of the, the shame of not showing the, 
the monster is to start to let others in and to take those baby steps into vulnerability. Um, How have you been able to demonstrate that and bring that forward at work? Because I think it might be easier to do that at home. It might feel a little safer at home. They're the kids. We've got the power uh, at work because of, you know, even your definition of leadership that makes it really challenging, right? Like everyone's looking at me. What were some right. of the micro steps that you took in the workplace to even show an ounce of vulnerability? Yeah, the the, the there are some dis- disciplines I had to put in my life because I'm a I'm a very determined guy, um, but uh, without a discipline to cling to, it's easy to like fake vulnerability, at least it was for me, like the idea that I could tell somebody something about myself um, that to them might feel like I was being vulnerable. But I just knew um, I, I, I'm i still protecting myself. I still have an inner wall uh, that keeps people out. So I, I had to really learn some disciplines. And the, the one discipline I'll tell you is uh, really three phrases that I try to use uh, every day and as many times in a day uh, as I possibly can. In fact, the more times I use these phrases, um, the more I feel fulfilled. Um, but these three phrases are pretty simple. One is, I'm sorry. And I know that seems weird, but um, being sorry can can kind of cross over between not just uh, vulnerability, but into empathy as well. But the idea that um, you know we can um, enter into emotion with another human being instead of really kind of getting defensive or over-personalizing absolutely everything on this planet. Um, it really kind of helps me ground myself by just recognizing that things are hard for people. Um, and uh, not only are things hard, but decisions that I make as a leader, as an owner, um, have ramifications, they have ripple effects. And those ripple effects, although unintended, um, are kind of painful. Uh, change is painful for people. And so instead of always defending why I do everything I do, um, I try to enter into this vulnerability of just saying, I'm so sorry. Like, I get it. Like, I understand that this change, this new direction, this decision is painful and you may not agree with it. And I know that you don't have the power to overturn my decision. And I'm sorry uh, for that. Like, um, it, it became not just a discipline, but it became an act of vulnerability to, for me to, expose the fact that I'm just a human being trying to do the best that I can. And I'm so sorry that this decision, this direction, this circumstance is affecting you so negatively. So I'm sorry is a big one. Another one that I use. Before you dive into that one, I, because I want to share this and how I feel like some people might be able to apply that. Lately, I've been, you know, I do communications coaching and lately one of the themes keeps coming up of people getting bad feedback, bad feedback. And then that triggers, of course, the, you know, defensiveness. Like I need to wall up. I need to protect myself. And I had a client that wanted to schedule a meeting with someone just to defend all of the feedback that they got. And so if you're someone that recently received feedback, instead of that defending where you're armoring up and you want to, I'm sorry, is what you said. It's going to give you permission to go into an emotional conversation with empathy. I'm sorry that my actions maybe were seen as crass. I'm sorry that my words might've been minimalizing. You know, just being able to name that and own it allows you to let the shame go. 
Exactly. <laughs> so I, I just had to because it that builds up over time. You know, yes. after a long period of time, you start believing these lies now. Like yes. the the problem for me was that I knew my intent wasn't what they were maybe perceiving. The I'm sorry doesn't confirm their perspective. It's just giving them yours. And that's so freeing because after a while, if, if you internalize all that, you start to believe the lies about your own intent when that wasn't the case. Yes. I, I just think this is really powerful for people. I'm sorry. Think about the freedom that you get. Not the ego yeah. check that says, I don't want to be wrong. No, that's a short-lived win right. that you know at the end of the day, you're still not going to feel good if you have a defense conversation with someone where you wall yeah. up. Knowing that I'm sorry is going to free up your mental capacity to reach fulfillment. I, right. I really just appreciate you saying that. And again, because I can relate to it myself <laughs> big time, but I know others can too, because those high achievers put really high expectations of ourselves. Like I had a client yesterday that said, yeah. you know, their goal was to be at not 99%, 100%. That's a very high expectation and yes, we're all human and we can't, that's not sustainable. No. Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. But I want to dive into what is your number two? Number two is um, really kind of following up on that is this idea that, hey, I don't know everything. So to, to use the phrase, I don't know, is something that, um, you know, I think we're taught in a, in a way, um, at least I was uh, maybe modeled for me this idea that, that leaders um, need to know. Like that's how we serve our people really, really well is by knowing the answer to everything. And so I had to really learn this discipline to just say, I don't know. Uh, what about this? What about that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and not do it as a as a way to uh, you know shirk responsibility or to somehow abandon people, uh, but to do it in a way that says, um, I, I don't have all the answers. I am literally a human being that uh, is doing their their very best. Again, it kind of follows up on the I'm sorry, but it's this idea that I'm just, a, I'm a person and I have limited uh, information at my fingertips. And based on that information, this is what we're doing and why, but, uh, but I, I can tell you right now, I don't know. I would start every one of our staff meetings with, okay, uh, here's, you know, here are all the problems that we have today. Here are all the things that we're trying to solve. Here's, you know, all the good things. But as of today, just want you to know, I, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. And that leads me to the third one, which is I need your help. Um, and so it's not just a matter of not knowing, 
you really want to make sure people understand that they're needed. Um, and they're needed and not just to get stuff done, but you, like, I need your help, um, is such a great act of vulnerability, at least for me, because it's really saying that I don't have all the answers. I know I'm, I'm bold and I'm loud and I'm confident, but that is just passionate. It's not that I know everything or I think that I can do everything on my own. Um, but it really is out of humility to say, I need your help. And people just really appreciate that. Yes. I love the simplicity of these mantras because they're not saying, tell them everything about yourself and your deepest, darkest secret. But they're yeah. small ways that I need your help is displaying vulnerability. Um, I don't yeah. know everything is obviously displaying vulnerability. I'm sorry is displaying vulnerability. And these are simple concepts, simple words. Why do you think we don't use them? <laughs> well, I know for me, again, I was uh, this noble pursuit of feeling like I need to be responsible for all these people. And, and then also uh, burying inside there like this fear that if I, if I show up as an emotional, messy person, then I have no value to people. Like my value is only in the doing. It wasn't in my mind, in the being. And so it was a hard, it was a lie. And th this is when we talk about mental health. If you boil mental health down, it's really just believing a lie. Um, and then that lie starts to, to ruin uh, really most aspects of our life. And mm -hmm. so it's this truth and believing in truth that helps really set us free from these these um, mental health issues that tend that tended to plague me, you know, my biggest fear after I found, um, you know, business and financial success after four years of starting my business, I, I somehow leveraged that into incredible paranoia. Right? Ooh, what do you like, mean by incredible paranoia? Yeah, I'm like, I, I went from like, hey, I, I accomplished all these wonderful things from business, and I somehow, in my mind leveraged that success to my own paranoia because I started to believe lies about who I was and therefore the lies about the people around me. And I just started to look for betrayal around every, every corner. And this is what I say, like the, the, the realization that I am emotionally alone on this planet and that I did it. People want to be involved. People want to be in my life, but I walled them out. Um, was this day that I realized I, I accomplished, I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish as a business owner. The list was more out of like this, uh, I need to prove everyone wrong about me that I can do this. But it was this list of the the things that I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Well, I did them all. And so now, and then I was looking at that list going, you know, well, that list was too short. Like I, I want to add a bunch of other things on there, but I don't think the people around me are ready for that. Like, we got to this point. They helped me get to this point. They're finding fulfillment, but they're not looking out for me. And it's because I'm a monster. Because it, when I show up in meetings, I, I, I lose my cool and I get impatient. And I'm just trying to move things along. And so I just started to believe incredible lies about myself and sent me down this terrible mental health road of just looking for betrayal around every corner. When these people didn't want to betray me at all. They they wanted to love and care for me, but I, I didn't give them any opportunity uh, to do so. And that's really what pivoted my definition of leadership away from kind of this command and control, uh, strong, confident leader 
uh, into this one of really loving and serving my people. Um, and really the, the book that I'm, uh, releasing in October is all about that journey. Um, it's this journey to say, no, this isn't about, um, just me, um, you know, giving my people fulfillment. It's about me not only giving them fulfillment, but allowing them to give me a leader fulfillment as well. And so it's, it's been an incredible journey to figure out. It takes the simple things, um, but the consistent things. Uh, to expose who I really am, to eradicate these lies about ourselves inside our own minds. Again, you said so much there. And I, you know, to our listener, one prompt, and I'm, I'm sure you might say this too, is what lies are you telling yourself? You know, I know my lies. I'm very comfortable with my lies. I am not good enough. I will never be successful. I am always failing. Those I'm not kidding. I'm a pretty positive person, but if you had my internal thought track, which I try to display a lot of vulnerability in our podcast, just to normalize some of these things. I don't love talking about how I have this. It can make me emotional talking about it. But if you can't label your lies, then they do control you. Then that is actually your filter for how you process everything. I can totally relate to anticipating betrayal, you know, People are, you know, they're going to let me down. They'll go against me. They'll see that I'm a fraud and this is where it's going to go. And, and that's my thought track. And you hit on, you know, these lies, like how I understand it when I talk about confidence is we pick up these lies as perfectionists, right? Like I'm not good enough. And it is a beautiful, motivating lie for a big part of our life that (laughs) creates so much success. Until it doesn't. And I think that's where the fulfillment conversation really enters in is how is this serving you? But I don't think people are really aware of their own thoughts. Like, how did you start to be aware of the lies you tell? It was, again, um, I think finally internalizing. uh, I had a conversation with a guy who I'd been meeting with for weeks, uh, for years. Every week I'd meet with him. And um, he would always ask me how I was feeling. And, um, he's big on empathy and I would just, I look at him confused. I'm like, I don't even understand your question. I, I literally choose every day not to feel, um, anything. And so your question in and of itself is, is like baffling to me. But after three years of this, I kind of started to understand where he was going with it. Um, and really tried to, um, uh, you know, give him some answers that were safe, but that would kind of suffice what he was really, you know, searching for. Um, but one day he was like, Hey man, like, is there anybody on the planet you could tell your deepest fears or deepest, deepest hurts to? <clears throat> and of course, in that moment, I'm immediately defensive and well, absolutely my wife, I've got good friends and blah, blah, blah. No, totally lied. Uh, on the way home, just realized, um, there's no way I'm going to share the deepest hurts and deepest fears with another human being. Um, that would just expose me and confirm that nobody, that I am unlovable. Like if I were to let people know how messy I am, nobody would want to be around. And as these words kind of rattle around in my head, I I started to really think, you know, can this really be true? Is this really what life is about? And, you know, maybe at 42, starting to um, start thinking legacy a little bit, start thinking about, you know, my kids, uh, you know, getting older and, and out of the house. And it just really hit me hard. Like, um, what do I want for the rest of my life? 
And so this realization that I need to hear the truth, um, but there's a price to be paid for the truth. The, and that price is, is multifaceted. One is relationship. So that means that I've got to have a, a trust because then when I hear truth, I need, to, I need to see it as true. And the only way I'll do that is if I have a level of trust with this person. And unfortunately, that means that I have to be vulnerable. Like they need to understand what's going on inside my head to speak truth to the lie or the lies that are bouncing around in there. And so it's this multifaceted, but very simple path, which is to be honest about what's going on inside your, your mind. Like, what are you thinking? And then have relationships uh, strong enough to hear the actual truth of who I am to other people. And that I'm not somebody that people are just going to run away screaming, that I'm just another person. I'm just a messy human. I am not surprisingly tearing up right now because I think about how many people wake up and they're operating as if they're normal to you and I, right? Typical, that's just my coworker. And we're not realizing the internal pain that many of us have in the form of self-hatred. And people don't like to talk about the term self-hatred because it seems too abrupt, but that's what it is. And that's typically the operating system of achievers and perfectionists. So whether you realize that or not, you're likely saying and motivated by comparing yourself to someone else. That's right. They did it differently. But I just, I, I really want to like to say to our listener that you're recognizing the struggle. You might be a little uncomfortable with this conversation embrace, you know, the words that you use, embrace your mess. Like we all are messy, yeah. but I, I, yeah, you're I, not I, fooling anyone and you're not fooling anyone. You're right. Cause <laughs> I know like, even in my line of work, like I'll even have someone that might say that doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, give me five minutes, give me five minutes because you just don't have the vulnerability yet. Right. Give me five minutes. You have it because you're human. And I think yeah. what, Maybe if you're an extreme narcissist, which is a small percentage of the population, maybe you don't have it, but the majority of people actually do. We just don't talk about it. I always go back to the four agreements, you know, the quote, like the greatest abuse a human will ever endure is the abuse inflicted upon them by themselves. And I don't realize that we're jerks to ourselves and we need to stop yeah. If we want to be happy with our lives, we have to stop being, in, I'm not, I wanted to say a different word, but we have to stop being, you know, jerks to ourselves and like yeah. stop practicing self-hatred. Because if you hate yourself, how could you possibly get out of your fear cave or your jail to connect with someone else when you don't even right. think you're worthy of that? Oh my right. God. Chris, what would be, I know that we have to wrap up, even though I want to keep talking about this because I wish everyone could meet themselves with compassion, which is a big part of your message of embracing your mess. We talked about a lot today. What would be some closing remarks or just things that you really want people to think about as they maybe go about the rest of their day today? Well, I think that as a leader, um, you've already signed up for something that, um, in so many words or so many ways, it, it really is a an act of uh, sacrifice. Uh, you're you're already um, stepping up and saying uh, whether you meant this or not. You're, you're gonna you're gonna look out for other people, and so uh, really that's gonna have to start with leading yourself well. Um, you know, you wouldn't tolerate it if somebody at work 
that you know, a good friend, a family member, lived out a, a lie that they were telling themselves inside their head, you would try to speak truth into that. And so, yeah, I think part of this for me was this journey of, of understanding that I'm, I'm worth loving. I have intrinsic value uh, as a human being. Um, and so therefore I'm, I'm worth hearing, uh, that truth. And so, yeah, I would just say, especially again, as a leader who's already stepping up and, and, and really trying to look out for other people is to look out for yourself because then you get to show up as your best self for your people. Um, and so for no other reason, uh, to take these steps, uh, is to serve others really, really well. Um, is you're going to have to serve yourself, uh, really, really well. Uh, in order for that to be a reality for the people that you love and care about. So it's worth doing. Hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I still do every day. It's it's not easy, um, but the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. My gosh, Chris, I just have to reiterate to our audience that if you're willing to embark on this journey of fulfillment, you know, Chris gave us some really helpful phrases. I'm sorry. I don't know everything. I need your help. Thank you so much for Chris for being on. How can our audience get in touch with you? Yeah, a couple different ways. Um, they can go to dcxcommunity.com as well as chrismaroff.com. And I'd love to connect. Chris, thank you for having a brave conversation. Thank you for even, you know, sharing. Cause I, I again, noticed that this is you know, you can put it in a bucket of achievers, you can put it in a bucket of gender and how we display this, but I'm happy that you and I could even have a different conversation from male to female as it relates to maybe how we practice vulnerability, because I think there might be some men listening that are like, what do you mean? And so thank you for just being another example of how we can actually demonstrate it. Um, just thank you. Thank you for being you. And thank you for giving us all the insights. I, it was really great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It was great. Wow, everyone. I just want to say, if you made it here, thank you for listening. I hope that you have some prompts or thoughts in your mind of how you can actually start to be more fulfilled by leading with vulnerability. Using those three phrases that Chris said, I'm sorry, I don't know everything, and I need your help. I wonder what your next week would look like if you practice those. Now, in closing, if you would like to connect with Chris, find out more about what he does, there are two ways that you can do this. You can go to dcxcommunity.com or chrismaroff.com. And of course, you can find these links in our show notes. Now, if you're in a leader looking to develop your team, looking to develop yourself, head on over to crosscom.com. We would love to have more conversations with you to help you be your best, to be a fulfilled leader by giving you the tools that you need to succeed. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you practice some self-compassion today. Until next time.